As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Revelation 3.19 So, in my previous episode, I must tell Jesus. I shared about how life was suddenly piling on top of me and the remodeling of my bathroom was sort of pushing me to a breaking point, however that would have looked like. And I mentioned how all I had to do was take my struggles to the Lord in prayer so that he could do something about it, whether it was about the situation directly, which he did, or in helping me to endure it. But today, I want to add to this experience, this answered prayer, because not only did God interfere a bit with the situation, but he also gave me a bit of a rebuke. Well, I think he intended it as something to meditate on, to reflect on, Um, as counsel, but I have decided to take it as a necessary rebuke, a needful rebuke. It was a welcomed rebuke. Before I mention what God showed me, let me first address those who might find it hard to respect a God who rebukes and chastens those he loves. God, whom is often referred to in prayer as Heavenly Father, is... Well, just that, a father, a heavenly father. Think of an earthly father for a moment. What is their role? They are there to provide for their families, to encourage and love their children. But they are also there to discipline and rebuke when needs be. Now, I understand that good father figures are scarce these days. Many have had to deal with lazy, unemployed, and even selfish fathers. Some fathers are violent, drunkards, womanizers, etc. These are not the father figures that represent God's role as a heavenly father rightly. You see, Jesus himself, when giving us the Lord's Prayer, gave us permission to address God as our heavenly father. And throughout the Old and New Testament, we are addressed as his children. Why would God do that? Because he wanted us to have an idea of what his relationship towards us is and how our relationship towards him should be like. God, as a heavenly father, provides for us on a daily basis. The psalmist wrote, I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Psalm 37, 25 So, as his children... We shall not go hungry, and it doesn't matter if you consider yourself his child or not at the moment, because even those who do not know him yet, he will provide for. You don't believe me? Well, consider Jesus' own words in Matthew 5.45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. It is the sun and rain that produces our food, is it not? In addition to being a provider, God takes care of us. He watches over us with tender love and mercies each day. This should give us warm and fuzzy feelings. But of course, like any earthly father or parent, he also disciplines us for our own good, because he loves us. In return, as his children, What is expected of us is obedience and fear. 
Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Ecclesiastes 12.13 But fear, you ask? Well, hold on a sec. Let me explain. See, fear is not the same as being afraid of him. It's more like reverence to him. But to help you better understand this, think of your parents, your mom, your dad. You love them, right? I hope so. Okay. And when you were a child, you were probably pretty obedient to them. Until you hit your teens, I bet. Do you recall a time where perhaps you were afraid of your parents? Like, you were afraid to face them because you did something bad or they found out that you did something you shouldn't have? What was it you feared exactly? Them spanking you or disciplining you? Or was it the disappointment in their eyes, like you let them down? See, we fear God because we don't want to disappoint Him. So it's sort of like loving, a loving fear of Him. And if we love Him, we will keep His commandments. Does that make sense? So getting back to this welcomed rebuke of His, the very next day, after God had already answered my prayer, God reveals to me that he still had more to say to me. Well, actually, I prayed to God by talking to him and telling him about my struggles. But God answered only partly by intervening on that first day. But he still needed to also talk back to me. And how does God talk to us? Well, literally through his word, the Bible. So, the answered prayer was two-part, the action of his intervention and his response to my request or reaction to my situation. And just like an earthly parent sometimes gives us counsel, God as our Heavenly Father also responds accordingly with either a rebuke, a correction, a comforting word, or just counsel. And this is how God counseled me. I was preparing a message that I had to share on the Feast of Tabernacles. I knew little on the topic, so I spent a couple of days studying as much as I could about this topic. And it was there in my findings that I saw what God wanted me to see. You see, the Feast of Tabernacles, or Feast of Booths, same thing, it commemorated how the children of Israel had lived in tents during their wilderness experience with complete reliance on God. For seven days, they were required during this feast to dwell in booths. On the eighth day, on the great day of the feast, that last day, they were able to return to their houses again. And to quote Matthew Henry on this experience, And they would the more sensibly value and be thankful for the comforts and conveniences of their houses when they had been seven days dwelling in booths. It is good for those that have ease and plenty sometimes, to learn what it is to endure hardness. And this is a commentary on Leviticus 23.33 by Matthew Henry. And there it was. Lesson number one. The experience I was going through, considered a hardship on my part, though I have been through worse, is like the living in a booth experience, symbolizing the general hardship that this world has to offer. But eventually, after some time of hardship, I would leave to a better home, a heavenly home. 
But that's not all. Part of the command for keeping the Feast of Booths was that the children of Israel were to rejoice during those seven days. On this, Matthew Henry adds, It is the will of God that his people should be a cheerful people. We must rejoice in God, not only because of what we have received and are receiving from him daily, but because of what he has promised and we expect to receive yet further from him, for he is faithful that has promised. And this is also commentary by Matthew Henry on Deuteronomy 16, 13-15. So lesson number two is that while experiencing hardship on this earth, we are to be in a state of rejoicing. Wait, do you mean I am to praise God and thank Him even in difficult times? Yes. Praise Him when you lose your job. Praise Him when you lose your house. Praise Him when you lose a loved one. Praise Him through each hardship. Sounds like a hard thing to do, I know. But I also believe we can do it. And so, as I was reading these commentaries, conviction and clarity was setting in my thoughts. God was speaking to me the next day, continuing to answer my prayer, but in a different way. He was looking to correct my distorted thinking and view of my situation by changing my perspective about it. He was bringing to mind what the children of Israel had to go through during their wilderness sojourn. Meanwhile, looking forward to a more permanent residence in the promised land. In the wilderness, they were without certain comforts, like on a camping trip. But eventually, they made it through to the promised land, where they were finally able to settle down. And the feasts of booths for the generations that followed was a reminder of that temporary struggle in the wilderness. Their children and children's children were to have their own short-lived experience of discomfort and yet rejoice at the promise of returning to their own homes, forgiven from the previous Feast of the Day of Atonement, meanwhile looking forward to the heavenly promised land. God was telling me, you are leaving in your own booth during this wilderness experience on earth until I come again, and dear and dear, and dear. You will have a mansion waiting for you in heaven, and dear. Let me tell you, it has been more than once before this experience that I have had this thought put into my head. You see, for a time, for a time there, I was really hooked on home improvement shows, and I would get motivated in perfecting my room, or our kitchen, or bathroom, with little changes here and there. But God would speak to my conscience and say, This isn't your permanent home. You're a pilgrim on this earth. Don't fret because you don't have a nice house. You will have a mansion when you get to heaven. Keep your eyes fixed on heaven. And so here it was again. My complaint while having gotten a temporary solution in his mercy and love towards me, also received a kind rebuke and counsel on how to consider my situation in the right light. And for this, I am so grateful because while a rebuke, it was a welcomed rebuke indeed. Praise God. <laughs>